for you as well. All right? And so it is Palm Sunday, and uh, around the world, normally churches, they'd have great processions outdoors. There'd be all sorts of things happening. And, of course, it's not happening outdoors this year because of COVID around the world. And, you know, here in America, things are sort of shut down, but not like other parts of the world. It's really, we're blessed to be in the United States. And so, uh, but even though we can't do it outside, we can still do it inside. And we can still worship the Lord. And you already have today. And we'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service as well to use those palms in worship if you haven't already. Just, um, you know, don't be hitting your neighbor with your palms, okay? All right? Neither these palms nor the, the skinny ones. And, and uh, some of you, you know, some of you are already making, who's already making like a cross with their palm? How many? Yeah, that's okay. That's totally fine. Don't be, don't be, like, don't be like looking down on your neighbors because they're doing that. They're busy and they're listening, okay? So it's okay. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, whatever you do during the service here, it, it's fine. I'm glad you're here. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and we'll read Matthew's account of this triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, their colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches down from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple court, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out to the city of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. So um, as we look at this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, you know, I, I remember back to my first recollection of this. And maybe for some of you, if you're as old as I am, you have the same first res uh, recollection of Palm Sunday. In my Sunday school class, my teacher used a state-of-the-art method called a flannel graph. And on this flannel graph, what this flannel graph was, this flannel graph, um, you know, Mason, what this flannel graph was, man, it's, it's, it's a piece of board with, like, black felt over it. And then you would get these, these cutouts, these, like, cutouts, and you would stick them on that felt board. And that was the, that was the you know, the videos that we saw in our day. You know, it was it was sort of like a step down from Davy and Goliath kind of a deal, you know. And uh, but I remember seeing that, you know, this this flannel graph and this picture of Jerusalem there, this like this like town picture, and and there's 
Jesus riding on this donkey, and there's people like with, with palms like going like, you know, because they can't move. They're just paper. And, um, you know, and, and so that was my recollection. And, and, but in my mind, it's amazing what you could sort of picture in your mind. And so in my mind, I saw Jesus entering Jerusalem. And it was just like a, the best parade you could possibly see, you know. And I, I'm not a big parade person. I like going to parades because we usually put something in the parade. But when there's a crowd of people around and it's a parade, it, it just it doesn't – I'm not a big parade kind of guy. Um, but on that day, it must have been something. And so I always saw it as a parade. But I want you to know it's, it's more than just a parade. It's not just a parade for a parade's sake. You know, and unfortunately, they, they postponed the St. Patrick's Day parade again this year uh, until September. But in September, we're planning on being in the parade, you know. And uh, sh should they still allow it, we'll be in it, you know. Um, but it's not just the parade that he did. And it's amazing. Matthew Henry is a commentator. And Matthew Henry actually talks about this a little bit. He says this about this triumphal entry. And I want you to sort of picture this at the start, at the beginning of this. This is not just the parade we're talking about here. And Matthew Henry says this, all the four evangelists, in other words, Matthew, Mark, and John, take notice of this passage of Christ riding in triumph into Jerusalem five days before his death. The Passover was on the 14th day of the month, and this was the 10th day of the month, <clears throat> on which the law appointed that the Paschal Lamb should be taken up and set apart for that service. On that day, therefore, Christ our Passover, who was to be sacrificed for us, was publicly showed. And so I want you to understand, this is not just a parade. This is not just a bunch of people getting together. This is God fulfilling what he had spoken to Moses and the children of Israel a thousand years earlier about the Passover. Now, the Passover, to us as, as believers, we don't really celebrate the Passover. Some of you do, and that's okay. You don't have to. But the Passover was given for God's people, for the Jews, to remind them of the night in Egypt when the death angel passed over judgment on their family and their firstborn was not killed. And so to commemorate this every year, what they would do is they would get every family, or if they were poor, a group of families could go together on this, and they would get a lamb, a young lamb. And you know, how many of you have ever seen, like, little lambs? They're just they're, they're cute, you know? And uh, they would get a young lamb, and they would bring that young lamb into their home. So they would actually take it like a pet. They'd bring it into their home like a pet on the 10th day of the month. And on the 14th day of the month, they would kill it and eat it. I mean, how many of you want to go back to the old covenant? <laughs> I mean, this is not, this is not my idea of, of, of a good time. Uh, I love animals, and so uh, the idea of bringing an animal into my house Literally, and the houses weren't like they are now. Like if it was in your house, some of your houses would be in your basement. You know, you wouldn't want to see the thing. This, some of the houses were only one room. And so they lived with that lamb. The whole family lived with that lamb for four days. And how many of you know your heart would get attached to it? And the reason why God does this is he wants us to remember that, listen, the Passover reminds us that our sin costs a great deal. Sin is costly. And so for them to, 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 to recognize the fact that, listen, God is going to cause, he, he requires from us this sacrifice of blood of this innocent animal, this cute little lamb. God requires the sacrifice of that animal's blood and life because of our sins. 
And Matthew Henry makes the right point here. He says, hey, listen, on this day, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it's not just a praise. It's not, it's not just Jesus getting his people together and saying, hey, let's make a boom in Jerusalem. I mean, he is literally coming into town, being presented to them as the Passover lamb. Remember, John uh, the Baptist, in his uh, three and a half years earlier, when he's down in the river and he looks at the hill, and here comes Jesus down the hill into, into the Jordan River, John the Baptist looks at him and says, hey, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that Passover Lamb. And so, listen, today, I understand, I understand the pluralistic society we live in, that every religion is equal and just as good. The reality is, there's only one Jesus. He is the, sacro, the, the sacrifice. He's the Passover Lamb. Period. There's no other way to come to God except through that sacrifice of that Passover lamb. And not the, not the little lamb that you bring into your house, this Passover lamb that came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And it's interesting. You know, there are two roads going from Bethany to Jerusalem. And they both, they, you have to go, and, and Bethpage, and you'll see it in just a moment here, Bethpage is, is, is in Jerusalem today. It's part of Jerusalem. But in Jesus' day, it was just a village. And so you would go from Bethany to Bethpage, and then you would go, because Bethpage was located on the Mount of Olives. Now, you could go around the Mount of Olives. It was a little bit easier journey, but Jesus chose to go right over the Mount of Olives so that he could be presented to the city in plain view. Because the Mount of Olives is the highest spot there in Jerusalem. And so it's even higher than Temple Mount. And so as he came over the hill, that's where he pauses and he weeps over the city because he can see everything and he knows what's going to happen. So this is not just a parade. This is not just one of those religious celebrations that we do. There's a reason why we do it. We do it because it is Christ being presented as our Passover lamb. He took the price for us. He paid the price for us. He was put, his blood was put over our, our, our doorposts so that the angel of the Lord does not come against us in vengeance. God has taken that, uh, that vengeance upon himself through the death of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. So in this, it, this brings a couple things to mind. And so let me work through this here today with you as we look at this. And these are a couple of my thoughts. I'd like to think they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they are my thoughts for you today. And we'll, we'll walk through this today. All right? Because how many of you have heard the story of, of Palm Sunday before? This, this, is, you know, this is not your first hearing of this. And if you haven't, we just, you already have, because we read those scriptures there about it. Um, the first thing this brings to my mind is, is what I, what I like to think of as God is very often, he gives us what I like to call specific generalities when he talks with us. All right. Now the term specific generality is what is considered an oxymoron. It goes against itself. If it's specific, it can't be general. It can't be a generality. If it's a generality, it can't be specific. But how many of you know, often God talks to us in very specific generalities? All right? How many of you love to get those boxes of stuff at a store, and when you get that box home, you open it up, and you spill out the contents on the floor, and there are hundreds of pieces, and they give you an instruction sheet? How many of you love that? All right, there are some bizarre people here who have raised their hands and said they love that. Now, um, I'm thinking Ikea. If you've ever gotten anything from Ikea, it's wonderful, but it is going to, you know, it, it is, if you're an alcoholic, you better have somebody with you, all right, because you may, you may imbibe a little too much, all right? So, 
And, and so, and, and what is worse when you get, now in our house, what happens is, and, and listen, because Lori and I, we've been married for, it'll be 39 years this year. You know, 39 years. Can you believe that? She married me when I was 10. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and so, like, when we get one of those boxes, and, and, and this, this without, without with only a few exceptions, like if, if something has, like, one or two steps or three steps, I'll do it on my own. But if it has more than three steps, Laura takes the paper. Because I cannot put the thing together and read the instructions because I am not a details person. All right? And so she is, and we make a great team. And so, you know, sometimes, it's a little, sometimes I'm sure I frustrate her and she frustrates me in the midst of this, but we get it done. You know? And, and, there are, and, and the worst thing in the world is when they give you the sheet with no words on it. Just pictures. I mean, what is that? Sometimes it seems like God gives us instruction sheets with just pictures. I mean, he's very specific about stuff, but he leaves it so open. Like he says to two of his disciples here, and this, this always brings a chuckle to my face. He always says, hey, uh, Peter and John, uh, go up to Bethphage there, and when you go there, there's going to be a donkey tied in front of somebody's house. And the donkey's going to have a little donkey with it. So Jesus is being really specific here. I mean, this is not your average, like your average, you know, Ford parked in front of the house. I mean, it, it's a donkey with a foal, a colt of the donkey tied next to it. And then Jesus goes, so they're like, oh, okay. And he goes, so untie it and bring it to me. Oh, and if anybody says anything, just say, the master needs it. I mean, right away, I'm not a details person. I can think of four or five questions I'm going to ask right now. I'm going to be like, like Jesus. What if they? What if you know? What if they come at me with a gun? That's my first question. You know, what if the cops come? You know, and bad boy, bad boy, what you going to do? You know, I mean, it's you're going to get busted for just stealing this animal. But just tell them the Lord. I mean, and there are times when God gives us instructions, and it's just like, this is not complete, Lord. And it's a wonderful thing when He does this because. What he does when he gives a specific generality, it shows that he trusts you. Like, he has faith in you, just like you have faith in him. And there are times when he doesn't have to give you the detailed list of what to do. You go back in the tabernacle, the, you know, the temple, everything is detailed out to the minute detail. But when it comes to, to new covenant, there's so much leeway God gives us. Because he works through us too. He trusts us. And sometimes he, he wants us to work it out. I mean, we have his indwelling Holy Spirit living inside us. We have the Word of God with us now as well. And so there are times when, when God is very specifically general to us, and he gives you, I mean, think about this. You know, like, to know what your calling is in life. God doesn't, God doesn't put that on a billboard for you. I mean, you know there are, there are generalities. There's some specific things that he wants about your calling. But, like, for me, my calling, I, I've had my calling has morphed through the years, you know? And God didn't, like, say to me, time for a change, Dave. I mean, no. I mean, he works through us in ways that is really an incredible thing. You know, and then even how Jesus comes into Jerusalem, this messes with people. Because he's, he's coming in as king, and this is what the people think. They think he's going to be king. And they have one picture of a king, and he comes in riding on a donkey. 
And that is just totally messing with their theology and their nationalism. And as well, to give you an idea of what you know, this, this, this might have looked like, I'd like to take you back uh, to the actual place where Jesus got the donkey and the foal from. And so there's a two-minute video here from uh, Drive Through History. I think you'll enjoy This is also on Right Now Media. And George, you can go ahead and play that video. After Jesus again referenced his coming death and honored Mary for her faithful act, he finished his meal with his friends. He then did something rather strange. He instructed two of his disciples to go ahead to the next village, Bethphage, and find a donkey. The ancient village of Bethphage is now a part of Jerusalem, but at the time of Jesus, it would have been a separate village between Bethany and Jerusalem. The Gospel text reads, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Matthew 21, 2 and 3. I'm here at the Church of Bethphage, a Franciscan church located here on the Mount of Olives. Now, this present-day church was built in 1883 over the foundation of a 12th-century chapel, which itself was built over the foundation of a 4th-century Byzantine shrine. Now, the Church of Bethphage is the location associated with the spot where Jesus mounted a donkey and began his procession into the city of Jerusalem. Now, imagine the scene. A large crowd of Passover visitors already had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. By now, many of them had heard that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and they wanted to see Jesus in person. Many no doubt saw this as a sign of Jesus' identity as the Messiah, and they wanted to proclaim him as king when he entered Jerusalem. When Jesus arrived here at Bethphage, just beyond the city of Jerusalem, he got onto a donkey to ride the rest of the way. In this way, he fulfilled an ancient prophecy from hundreds of years earlier. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9, 9. When he did this, the crowds surged to greet Jesus, marking the beginning of the event known as the triumphal entry. All right. All right, so uh, that, that gives you a little background on where that actually took place. <clears throat> and so, um, and it's interesting, he, he comes in, according to that uh, reference from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where he comes in on a donkey and the foal of a donkey. And so this is another thing that's sort of interesting about this. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you, how many of you remember back in the day, was anybody, any of you remember when I rode the donkey down on Palm Sunday, uh, right, right, at, right down the center aisle, right out the door there? And, um, and so, <laughs> um, yeah, we've done that here. That's right, yes, uh, before this carpeting. And, um, <laughs> but Jesus came, when he came, he wrote, it says, on a donkey and the foal of a donkey. And so if you know anything about those, those animals, when that mother moves, the baby's going to follow right along with it. In fact, the baby's going to be right alongside the donkey. And so uh, as, the, as the disciples put their coats on top of the donkey and on top of the colt, 
uh, Jesus sort of sat on the donkey and put his legs and feet on the, on the colt. And, and so he sort of came in in style, <laughs> you know, in a very unusual style. But it's interesting when you look at that because, number one, he comes in not representing an earthly king. As an earthly king, he would have come in riding a horse. It's sort of like in the old Western uh, uh, show, uh, Gunsmoke. You know, in that show, Matt Dillon rode a horse, a steed, a stallion. Festus rode a donkey. Matt Dillon didn't ride a donkey because he's Matt Dillon, you know, lawman. Festus rides a donkey because he's Mr. Dillon, you know. I mean, it's Festus. But the reality is a donkey is actually a pretty incredible animal. They're very, they're very versatile. Um, and Jesus was coming in riding a donkey, not a horse, because he wasn't coming to conquer. He was coming to proclaim the kingdom of God. But there will come a day when Jesus comes, and Palm Sunday makes us look at that as well. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday. But there's going to come a day not too far in the distant future when Jesus will arrive in Jerusalem on a white horse from heaven. And he will set up his kingdom. And his kingdom, the kingdoms of this world, shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That day is coming. All right? But when he comes in this day, he comes in gentle and lowly. He's, you know, the blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus, when he comes back, he comes back as a man of war. And he will subdue the nations with a rod of iron. So uh, as we look at this as well, this is interesting because he was king, but not the king that people had in mind. And often Jesus is different than the Jesus we have in mind, you know. And then another thing that sort of strikes us from this with the donkey and the colt, Jesus rides both. And that's sort of, I mean, it's sort of unusual to think of that, but the reality is this. The donkey sort of represents Israel. It is... It's been ridden before, it's been trained, it's gone through the law. The colt, the foal of the donkey, represents the Gentiles. We haven't been ridden yet. We haven't been part of the kingdom. But when Jesus died, he broke down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. So there is neither, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female now in the kingdom. We are all one. And it's a beautiful thing that we see through this time on Palm Sunday. The second thing that this brings to mind is the power of worship, the power of worship. So as he comes in, they shout Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting because the term they use there um, for Hosanna, it's a Hebrew word, and it had become in, in common day, in the day when it was shouted for Jesus, it was, it was used as a shout of praise. But the word Hosanna actually is like, it's a request to a king that you would say if you wanted him to help you or to save you. And so as the people shouted Hosanna to Jesus, it was a term of praise to God. But really what they were saying was, God, your help is coming. Help us. We're singing Hosanna for him. He's the one who's going to help. The reality is they didn't know it. They thought he was going to come and set up his kingdom, and and he was going to kick Rome out, and then Israel would be like the primo place in the world. That's not what God had intended. God had intended for his kingdom to come and to spread to all the world. That in all nations, all peoples, all tongues, there would be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what God is coming through this. Right? So at the same time, Jesus did not discount their praise. All right? And so when you give praise, even if you don't know what you're doing, all right? even if you don't have the perfect theology, 
even if you don't have all the right mo- movements, like you haven't gone to classes on how to worship, you know, what do you do right, you know, you know, and, um, you know, even if you don't have that, God will still accept your praise when it comes from your heart, you know, and, and it's a wonderful thing. And at the same time, um, as believers, as we grow in our faith, it's, it's, it's important for us to understand what we're doing as well. And because there is God's power is released. I mean, I know, you know, when I was younger and I'd attend worship and, and stuff would happen, I wouldn't really totally understand what was happening when God's power would move. But now I begin to know God's power because I've, I've experienced it. And so the reality is the same is true for us when it comes to prayer and praise. And so on Palm Sunday, you know, people can be a little more exuberant with their praise in some of our other churches and some of the churches that don't have you know, expressive praise, but on Palm Sunday, they might be, they might put their hands in the air, they might wave palms in the air and all that kind of stuff. Thank God on any Sunday, any given Sunday, you're welcome to raise your hands in our church. You know what I'm saying? But the same is, can be said though for our praise and our worship, that we have to make sure that what we're doing is we're praising and worshiping and praying in the right motives. You know, remember Jesus said, God is a spirit. When he was talking to the woman at the well, he says, God is a spirit and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so there needs to be a level of, of spiritual, you know, churning up inside of us, but we have to also walk in truth in our worship. It doesn't mean you can't worship in a new way. It does mean that you should learn how to walk in those things. All right. And so in this, James talks about this. Um, in James chapter 4, verse 3, and he talks, he's talking about prayer, but the same thing comes in praise, because praise is really singing prayers to God, you know? And so as we sang these worship songs, and we're going to finish with the worship song today too, uh, as we do that, we're, we're singing prayers to God in our worship. And James says in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 4, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, and we, we know that to be the case, because when you pray for that winning lottery ticket, you know, why hasn't God answered your prayer? Because he knows you. He knows what you will do. Don't give me that, I won't. Yes, yeah, you will. All right? Besides, there's you know, a million other people praying the same prayer, you know? And uh, you're all his kids, right? In Romans chapter 8, and I talked about this a little bit. I don't want to talk a lot about this, but I, we have to bring this back into perspective as well. In Romans chapter 8, um, you know, there is this idea. I think I preached this here. I think I talked about this. Did I talk about this t- two weeks ago in Romans 8? Because I, I preached a couple of sermons this week, so I can't over the past week, I can't remember where I used it. But anyway, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about this in, in our prayer language. And so as we pray, as we praise, as we, as we pray in our prayer language, and a prayer language is when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues, and then you can use that in your prayer time, you know, and it's powerful, it's effective. And in Romans chapter 8, it talks about this. It says, and, and this is important for us today because our world is full of concern and trouble. But remember, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but, but take heart, I've overcome the world, right? And so as we walk in faith, even the troubles of this world, we will have trouble, but we overcome it through Christ. Now listen, you're going to overcome the troubles. Are you going to overcome them easy or are you going to overcome them hard? That's the question. Are you going to work hard or smart? And so if you work hard, you can work hard and just use the word of God and just apply scripture in your life, and that, that's hard work, or... 
you can allow God to be with you and partner with you in this work. And in Romans 8, it talks about this. It says, um, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Folks, do you feel spiritually weak? Well, God has a solution for this. Do you feel like the enemy is constantly kicking you in the rear end or in the stomach or in the gut or in, in, the, in the head? Well, if, listen, if that's the case, God has a solution for you. The solution is not to bring friends together and pray about it. The solution is to get together with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit begin to intercede for, through you and release the power of God. That's what it says here in Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. When we pray in the Spirit, we don't know what we're saying. I know there are folks that say, every time I pray in the Spirit, the Lord gives me an interpretation. Well, good for you. That's not biblical, but good for you. You know? And I'm glad. You know, I'm happy for you. Verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So when I pray in the Spirit, folks, and listen, you've got to grab a hold of this in 2021 because it's gonna, the road is still going to be rocky. I'm thankful that things are opening up and everything, but don't think when, when COVID opens up that everything's going to be back to normal smooth because I don't think it was smooth before COVID hit anyway. And it's only going to get, the shaking is going to continue to happen. The natural disasters are going to continue to happen. The plagues, all the stuff Jesus talked about, they're going to happen more and more as the birth pangs of his coming happen in this earth. There's going to be a churning in the seas, a churning in people. And so you need to be able to tie into this. You need to be able to get the strength of God to help you through this. And as a Pentecostal, it's not about just jumping up and shouting and like being like a goof in the spirit or something. But if that's your calling, that's fine too. Um, it's entertaining if you're a goof in the spirit, and that's fine. We'll we'll allow you to goof to a degree at least here. You know, um, uh, you know. I remember one. I should I should remember one time somebody was up here at the altar, and and it was one of our elderly ladies. She's dead now, so I can say it. she's with the Lord. She doesn't care if she heard. She would laugh, and and. Uh, she goes, she goes down under the power of the Spirit, and her wig comes off. <laughs> and she's laying there, and her wig is like this. <laughs> so I just knelt down, and <laughs> she didn't know. She's out in the Spirit, you know. <clears throat> Whatever. <laughs> We're family, you know. <clears throat> I shouldn't say it. I mean, there are times when I'll go out in public and someone, like, somebody who's close to me will say, like, hey, Pastor Dave, like, there's like a booger in your mustache. <laughs> you know? I'm thankful for people like that. You know? I mean, listen, if I have, if I have, if I have an escapee in my mustache, please tell me. <laughs> it don't belong there. You know? But when you're family, you can do that with each other. The church is the family of God. And so if you're a little weird, it's okay. We'll let you be weird to a degree. <laughs> and then we'll let you know if you get too weird. But um, it's all right. Verse 28, I think I shared this two weeks ago. Verse 28 is the verse that we all quote like a, like a fortune cookie. And we know that all, in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you realize that verse is tied to, to interceding in the spirit? You know? 
And so why is it that it seems like so much of your life is not being worked, the good isn't being worked out? Because maybe you need to get into spirit more. You know? That's why our forefathers, the people who started this church, they longed to come together and get filled together and, 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 and minister into spirit together. You know, that's why in my life, in the troubles that I have, hey, listen, I can take care of a lot of them on my own because I'm, I'm an adult man. I've been in the ministry a long time. But there are times when I just let the Holy Spirit do it. And it's so much better. To, you know, Jesse talked about that last week. He realized that, you know, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit was better than any drugs. The highest highs he had on drugs were nothing compared to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, and so, listen, you could do it your way if you want to. You could do it God's way. And if you do it God's way, you can know that God is working everything together for good in your life. And what a blessing that is. Amen? So how do we do this? I mean, how do we look at praise going before action in our lives? In worship, we align ourselves with the Word of God and the Spirit of God as we sing songs that are theologically sound in worship. And that's why we don't do all worship songs. Because some worship songs are like bubblegum. Really. I mean, some are like, you know, the sloppy wet kiss song. You know, and some of you guys love it. I know some of you are like, oh, I just love that song because you're a girl. <clears throat> all right? It's a girly song. You know? Like it, you know what I'm talking about. He is jealous for me. And I get it. And some guys like that song too. And I'm not judging anybody, all right? But I, I'm a guy. I like manly songs. Like, you know, the, what, it, 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 for Pastor Heather, for Father's Day, guess what I'm going to say to her? Pick manly songs. You know? Like, didn't Karen and Jerry do a great job decorating the church? Isn't, isn't that beautiful? I mean, even as a guy, I think that's beautiful. You know? But there was one time I came into church, and Karen and Jerry had decorated. They had these, like, pink and, and these pastel pink and green butterflies up. And I, came, I said, it looks like a teenage girl's bedroom. I said, you got to take them down, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the guys that have, like, mounted heads in their house and say, bring some of them to church, you know, so we can have some guy stuff up here. Does anybody have, like, a stuffed bear? Put it right next to the butterfly. It's eating the butterfly. I can appreciate that. You know? <laughs> I should be more serious today. I'm sorry. But our praise, our praise is important. It's important to go to God in our, in our time of praise. Listen to this. There's a man by the name of Rick Ezel. He wrote something, and he, he gave us a quote um, from A.W. Tozer. And he says this about praise, all right? He says this. He says, the world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of God. And we all understand that. The world is perishing for the lack of knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. The world is perishing for the lack of knowledge of God, and the church is so much about the knowledge of God. I mean, you could go to class, to class, to class, to this, to that, to that, to go to service, to service, service, and you have so much knowledge, you don't even know what to do with it. And we're, we're longing for the presence of God. But you, you don't get his presence unless you push into it. In Jerusalem that day, leading into Jerusalem, they, say, they think that there may have been an additional... 250,000 to a million people in that, in that area for Passover. Let me tell you, and, now, and I love some, like the Gospel of John, I love the, the and I've used it before, the video of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. That's nothing. I mean, it has the streets lined. It's, it looks like, like, like the St. Patrick's Day parade on a cold day. It's like, 
the people are lying right next to each other, but there's nobody behind. I want you to know those streets were packed with people. There was a quarter of a million to a million people in town. When they heard Jesus was coming, they rushed and they crowded together. And in order to be at that spot where you could actually lay a palm branch down or take your coat off and put your coat down before Jesus, you had to push through a crowd to get there. And I want you to know, my brother and my sister, that really to experience the presence of God, you're going to have to push beyond the norm. You're not going to just be able to say, well, well, his presence, I know he's with me. I have that knowledge that he's with me. And that's fine, but you don't understand the presence of God. The power that comes when we push through and we worship him in spirit and in truth, and we get to the place where we leave others behind and we ourselves are going after him. Like the woman who pushes through the crowd and grabs the tassel on his garment, and she's healed after 11 years of misery. She finds that she's able to push through. And and my brother, my sister, when was the last time you really pushed through? When was the last time you pushed through in worship? When was the last time you really pushed through in prayer? God is calling us. Palm Sunday directs us that if we are willing to push through, we can be right there when Jesus comes by. You know, we 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 can smell the scent on his robe from the the alabaster box that was broken over it. We We can hear his voice. We might even be able to reach out and touch him. When you press into his presence, that's possible. And then finally, it brings me to the final thought on this, and that's, I mean, think about this. This is like people are coming in and out of Jerusalem all day long. This is a normal thing. I mean, you know, and so who was the first person that, like, cut down a palm branch? Who was the first person that took their coat off and laid it before Jesus on the ground? I mean, you ever been in a group of people and, like, everybody's, everybody's just sort of hanging out and maybe you're all doing the same thing and then somebody does something weird or different? And you do one of two things. You're either, like, giving them the side eye, like, right? Or you're like, wow, that's awesome. Let's do that. And you join them to do that, right? And so, like, who's the first one that breaks down a palm branch and lays it down on the ground. Who's the first one who goes, Hosanna? Who's the first one who shouts out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? I mean, you know, this is going on. And so what happens is, as, as, when you read the scriptures, it literally builds. It, it's, like, it's like a tiny wave that becomes a tsunami. And so all of a sudden, it's everybody's doing this. Everybody's, in, in fact, the, the, the chief priest, they said, the whole world has gone after him. Because there's... Literally hundreds of thousands of people pressing into this small area trying to get close to Jesus. But it started with some person. It started with one. I mean, how often do we follow after one person that leads out? You know, some of us are not natural-born leaders. I'm not a natural-born leader. You know, I don't mind following people, but there are times when God calls me to step out. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to step out? Are you willing to step out in worship? Are you willing to step out in prayer? Are you willing to step out in the spirit? Are you willing to step out in sacrifice? Are you willing to step out in these things that God has called us to do? And, you know, it's it's an amazing thing. Somebody's got to start it. Somebody's got to take the lead on this. And so, like, what are you leading out in in your life? What is it that people follow you in? We're all leading in something. Are you leading in something that is drawing people to Christ? Are you leading people in something that will draw worship to the Lord? You know, or are you just sort of just following others, you know? 
In 2005, in the nation of Turkey, uh, there was these villagers that they were all grazing their sheep on a hill in Turkey, in a, in a region called, in a town called Gevis in Tur- Turkey. And there's a video of this that I'll put, the, you can go ahead and run that anytime, George. There's no video, there's no audio on this. Uh, and this is from the Associated Press. It says, 450 sheep leapt to their deaths in the Turkish village of Gevis. First, one sheep leapt to its death. Then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to get great to get graze. I can't even read this. While they were having breakfast, watched as nearly 1,500 other sheep followed, each leaping off the same cliff. Turkish media reply, uh, reported. In the end, 450 animals lay dead on top of each other in a billowy white pile, according to the Aksam newspaper. By the time the 450 had died. The pile of sheep carcasses at the bottom of the cliff had apparently grown large enough to cushion the fall <laughs> somewhat, therefore resulting in the saving of the other 1,550 sheep's lives. There's nothing we can do. They're all wasted. Nesvat Baham, a member of the, one of the 26 families whose sheep were grazing together in the herd, was quoted as saying by Axam. The estimated loss to families in the town of Gevis, located in Van Province in eastern Turkey, tops $100,000 a significant amount of money in a country where the average GDP per head is about $2,700. Every family had an average of at least 20 sheep, Axum quoted another villager, Abdullah Hazar, as saying, but now only a few families have sheep left. It's going to be hard for us. I mean, uh, they weren't supposed to jump off the cliff, but one sheep did it and the others followed, you know? I mean, how many of you have seen the, dec- the documentary on Netflix about the walruses that fell to their deaths? You know, they're, they're blaming... You know, you know why they fell to their deaths? Because they're dumb. Right? I mean, they're just... It's a walrus. It's not, you know, like... It, there's no walruses with PhDs. You know? I mean, hey, listen. Are you a leader or a follower? I, I mean, but if you're going to lead, don't lead people off a cliff. Or if you're going to jump off a cliff, make sure that, man, it's God. It's going to be for the glory of God. And if that's the case, then jump away and let people follow you. Because maybe there's, I've jumped off cliffs myself. I've gone, you know, with my son and, and we've, uh, we've jumped off into, you know, off of a cliff. Into, I don't jump off the cliffs. He jumps off. But, you know, if it's 20, 25 feet, I'll do it. <clears throat> I don't do 50, 75 feet. He's crazy. He can do that. But, you know, it's wonderful to jump off a cliff when there's water below it. It's refreshing. You know, but these, these sheep, they just jumped to their deaths. What are you leading in today? See, Palm Sunday leads us with this idea. What is it that you're willing to lead out? Are you going to be one of those people that pulls down the palm frond? You made the first one? Well, nobody's doing it around me. I mean, that person is probably like self-conscious. What are they going to think if I pull this palm frond down and put it before Jesus? What are they going to do? What are they going to think of me if I take my coat off and I put it down before Jesus? Well, listen, it started a trend that's still being talked about almost two millennia later. In fact, around the world, they're gonna, if it wasn't COVID, they'd be re- reenacting this today all around the world. You know, somebody started it. And notice it doesn't say the disciples started it. It was somebody else. You know, God's calling you to lead out. Will you lead out in worship? Will you lead out in being passionate for God? Worship team, come on back up. You know, this is called the Passion Week. This week is the Passion Week. From Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday to Easter. It's the week of passion. It's Christ's passion. And I wonder, what is our passion level? What are you passionate about? 
yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not against being passionate about other things. You should be passionate about a lot of things. But are you passionate about your faith? Are you passionate about Christ? Are you passionate about the Lord? You know, our forefathers, our foremothers, they were passionate about the Lord, and they were passionate for other people to come to know Jesus too. This week on Facebook, uh, I don't, do we have it ready today, the video today that I can put on Facebook? Okay. So I, I'm gonna, there's a video I'm going to put on Facebook. You could share it. I'm just inviting people to just go to church on Easter. Not necessarily this church, but if they don't go to church, go to this church. So I, there was a Methodist church up by me. They just started this Sunday with the drive-in church service. Wow, are they behind the times. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not casting a stone at them. At least they're, at least they're coming back. You know, but I mean, listen, folks need to go to church next Sunday. It's Easter. Jesus rose from the dead. We can at least go to church. You know, so hey, feel free to share that with people, uh, you know, off, off Facebook. And again, uh, if they don't have a church, I invite them to come to ours, but I want them to go to their church. Go to, go to your church. Just be there. We should be passionate about this. Jesus rose from the dead. We can, we can rise as well. And so what are you passionate about? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team is going to, we're going to sing one song as we finish up here today. And as we do, you'll get to wave your palms up in the air. Maybe you say, oh, I don't need to do that, Pastor Dave. Just do it. Get outside your comfort zone. You know? What do you, I know some of you have like, some of you made like, you know, a swan with your, with your thing. Well, wave that puppy up in the air, you know, and, and we'll worship him in just a moment. But let me pray for you. So Jesus, in our hearts, in our lives, we, we thank you for this day that we call Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry of you. It makes us think of your incredible passion, all that you did for us, O oh Lord. But it also helps us to see that, Jesus, you have, you've done this not in a vacuum. You've done it in a group of people. A quarter of a million to a million new people were involved in this. And so, Lord, in the same way, we by faith are there with you as well. We stand with the crowd and we shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We don't, we're not going to be part of the crowd that in five days is going to say crucify you. But we are part of the crowd that worships you. And so, Lord, receive our praise. And help us, Lord, to be willing to step out and to lead out in ways that maybe perhaps are beyond our comfort zone so that, Jesus, we can pr truly bring glory and honor to you. And that, Lord, as we do that, as we move outside our comfort zone, as we begin to worship in spirit and truth, as we begin to, to reach out into the spiritual, the supernatural, Lord, as we begin to pray in our prayer language, as we begin to praise in our prayer language, Lord, I believe that, that your Holy Spirit will work in and through us in such a way that we will know that all things are working together for good in our lives. And so in, in more, we will bring glory to you. Through, it, through our lives and through who we are. So raise us up, O oh Lord. I pray a blessing on these people today. The Lord, as we raise our hands in worship for this final song, as we lift, lift those palms up, whether it's the, the palms that grew on a tree or the palms that grew on the ends of our arms, as we raise them up in worship, Lord, may your glory fall in our lives and your power be exhibited in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Heather, let's, while we stand as we sing this great song, is this, this song is simply Hosanna. And let's do that. Let's shout Hosanna. Lord, save us. Lord, help us. Here we are. We give ourselves to you.
Lord, we lift you up. We praise you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ah, uh, now the God who saves us, the one who gives us life, may he send us forth now with his glory, with his word upon our lips, with the two-edged sword in our hands, powerful, ready to face whatever may come our way in these days to come. Bless your people this week, O oh Lord. May the passion of Christ truly burn in our hearts these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless you folks. Thanks for being here at church. Bring somebody with you next week.